Hey guys, you are listening to the Simple Electronics Podcast. I'm your host, Simple Electronics. Welcome to episode 5, where I have a special guest with me, Stephen the RC Tinkerer. How are you, Stephen? I'm good. How about you? I'm pretty good, I have to say. Um, so my viewers probably know a little bit about me. Can you tell them a little bit about you? Sure. Um, I started in, uh, started in electronics um, just this last year. Um, due to this whole pandemic, um, it's kind of brought me inside more and, um, a lot of what I do, it revolves around RC cars and, uh, you know, installing lights, motors, um, trying to do custom things. So it's brought me in the shop and, um, fired up the soldering iron. It's always a good day. The first day you fire up the soldering iron. What, what do you use for a soldering iron? I use a, a, a Ryobi, uh, I'm not sure the model number, let's see, it's the Ryobi soldering iron, it's adjustable temperature, um, comes with a couple tips, um, it's, you can also throw a, a 18 volt battery pack on it and make it portable, so it's, it's pretty useful. So it plugs into the wall, but it also works on Ryobi's sort of uh, um, lithium based batteries? Right, right, yeah, so I have, you know, I have their drill, their sawzall, that kind of whole kit. And uh, this was a nice addition. I think that's an important thing for, for beginners to keep in mind. If you're shopping for a soldering iron, it's like really tempting to go get that, um, I guess, the Harbor Freight style, um, the one without the temperature control. But I think the temperature control is key because if you're learning, you don't want to be doubting your equipment, right? You, you want something that'll work for you right off the bat. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. My, my first soldering iron was uh, like a 30 watt. I got uh, our local hobby town, which carries Radio Shack stuff in it now, um, and it and it works fine. But um, you know, thicker gauge wire, you definitely want to crank up the heat to uh, to to make that bond. So yeah, I agree with you. The uh, adjustable temperature is definitely key. I use something around the sixty-five watts for my soldering iron. I find that that's a good balance. You can you can still do like nice fine stuff with the temperature adjustment, but you still have enough kind of thermal mass to do bigger things. And since you're into RCs, and some of the listeners may be into RCs as well, uh, you do need something kind of thick because uh, some brushless motors demand a lot of current, right? Correct. Yeah, you, you know you're dealing with. Um around you know 12 gauge uh wire um and yeah you, you definitely need something that can put out the heat and also um, you know chisel tip definitely helps with that i'm a big fan of the chisel tip um basically i i think that the uh the people using those uh those uh, circular first of all the conical tips and also the flat uh, circular ones th those are those people don't know where, where it's at. It's all about the chisel tip for me. Right, right. I mean, you do you, uh, viewers out there. You do, I mean, the important part is that you're actually soldering. But um, if you haven't tried the chisel tip, I, I highly recommend it. Chisel's the way to go. So what kind of RC cars uh, do you do you drive? Because I've had some, some RC cars, but I typically go for the higher speed, high suspension travel type of stuff. But you, you're doing it a little bit different, are you? Yeah, I started out um, about 20 years ago. I had a, a monster truck, um, fell out of it, life happened, got married, college, kids, the whole thing, sold it. Um, and then as my uh, my boys got older, um, they, they wanted something, you know, that was faster and, um, you know, their, their target Walmart, you know, brand cars start falling apart. Um, so I suggested, you know, investing in a hobby grade um cars for him we got him used and then i got myself one and i got back in the hobby um so we have we have the uh traxxas slash um uh two by two by four uh stadium trucks um they're great brushed or brushless um and then uh, i got into rc rock crawling and that's kind of where my uh, my sweet spot is right now um just really enjoying that yeah so if uh, you know, if if people are traditionally RC car enthusiasts, um, they're probably what the hobby would call bashers, right? That would be the like the slashes, the Traxxas slashes. I personally had a Revo. My friends had um, Savages, which are basically uh, the Revo is sort of like um, I don't know. It's like a trophy truck, I guess. The suspension is uh, has a lay down F one suspension, and the 
and the savage is more of a monster truck type thing but but rock crawling it's not if i'm not mistaken it's more about precision than than actual speed right correct yeah it's, it's about you know you're driving slow um there's a lot of torque involved four by you know four by four trucks um yeah it's all about trying to defy gravity and i have to say um i'm not a, i'm not big into rock crawling but there is one type of rock crawling that i would be totally into and it's something that's accessible for everybody is that they make one i'm trying to remember the scale i think it's 164th or 132nd scale uh, rc crawlers that you can crawl around your desk with yeah yeah it's a, a up and coming um sub subgroup of the, the the hobby it's a 124 scale 124 look, that's what it I'm is. looking looking to get one of those too yeah i would love one of those to just run around the desk while uh while i watch youtube or i finish my edit or export videos or whatever it's a great um uh, time passer and if it rains outside i mean you're going to be stuck inside anyways right exactly yeah i don't get a lot of rain here but the the heat's killing us so i'm thinking about doing the same thing um yeah, put it on the couch and you have yourself a course with all the pillows. Oh, absolutely. And and the thing is, if you have a 3D printer, you can 3D print literally any obstacle and it'll only take about an hour to print, a, print you know, like 10 obstacles at the same time. And, and then you can practice your uh, precision driving, which will then translate into your full-size rock crawling, right? Right, right. Yeah, these, these those little trucks um, definitely have... Uh, all the same, yeah, you know, uh, articulation and servo uh, steering um, that the the tent scale ones and, and full scales definitely definitely have. So yeah, it des- definitely translates. So what's your uh, daily driver then? What's your main rock crawling rig? Um, my go-to is a uh, it's an Element RC uh, Enduro. Um, it's a great truck. They they came out with the truck about a year ago. And, um, it has a lot of, a lot of the stuff I was, um, they packed in some aftermarket upgrades that a lot of people were doing after the fact. So I was all ready to go. Um, for instance, some like overdrive gears that helped the front tires spin faster than the back. So it helped climb. A lot of people were doing that after the fact and, and the company already packed those gears into the truck so you could swap them out easily. So you're saying it's not like a, a true four-wheel drive in the in the automotive sense of it where you lock the front wheels and the rear wheels, everything's going the same speed. These actually have a different ratio front and back? Correct. Um, yeah, so the, the stock ratio, they both spin at the same speed, but due to these gears that you put in that swap out the gears in the transmission, they, they spin, yeah, the, the ratio is different, and so they spin a little faster. That's really interesting. I've never, I would never would have thought that would have been an advantage because obviously coming from the full size world, I'm an automotive mechanic by trade. Um, I would have thought that having all four wheels spinning the exact same speed would be the, the, the best way to do it. Uh, so is this a selectable gear or it's just uh, once you install the upgrade, it's permanently going a little bit faster in the front than the rear? Uh, it's permanently faster. Interesting. And correct me if I'm wrong, but some of these crawlers actually run two motors, like one in the front and one in the back. Um, that might be, uh, you know, a cu- custom, you know, competition type of a crawler. But most of the guys that I've seen, I would say 90, you know, you're talking in the high 90%, only, you only use one. Okay. So it has like sort of a central motor with, a, I'm, I'm guessing, two spur gears. And then it uh, it's it's driven. It drives the front and the rear. And I'm guessing there's no differential really for for different speeds left to right. Right? It's just it would be a locked diff at that point. Um, yeah. So it's a it's one spur gear, a pinion gear, and then a motor, and then it puts outputs it to front back axles. Um, and and some some trucks have uh, two speed transmission, um, and, and you can some of them also you can you can lock out um, on the fly you can lock out the differentials so it depends on what really what you want and how much money you want to spend on it that's fancy i know the um i have a nitro revo and i ripped out the reverse gear because just the fact of of shifting you know it's a tiny i mean the, the truck is big 
but it's a it's a tiny transmission. It fits in the palm of your hand, and just the extra complexity of having one gear that has to be able to slide back and forth to uh, to to engage reverse, it it broke all the time. So I just removed it altogether. So I can just imagine the extra mechanism in the differentials at the at the axles to have a little slide mechanism to to be able to to shift into a low gear or to lock um, lock the the differential or not. That, that adds some serious complexity there. Yeah, yeah, it does. They, they do something like that. Um, and also adds more, in my opinion, it adds more things to break. Um, so, I, you know, I stuck with one gear. Um, since you're not going to use most of the time in rock crawling, you're not going to use the, the high-speed gear anyways. Yeah, it makes sense. I have a friend of mine who actually bought the, I think Traxxas has a uh, rock crawler now. And he bought that, and he, he was disappointed in it because he was looking for a bashing car. And really, he bought a high-speed rock crawler, which is just mm-hmm. not the same, right? It's not. It won't. Right, it won't yeah. achieve the same things. No, it won't. Even in high speed, I mean, it is fast, but not not as fast as a basher. So, what kind of batteries does your rock crawler use? Are you using the old school uh, nickel type batteries, or are you, are you doing lipos now? Uh, I switched to lipos uh, with the last two years. Um, just due to the performance and, and weight, I was a little hesitant due to some of the horror stories I've heard. Um, but uh, after I learned how how to properly treat them and store them, um, yeah, I, I, I'm using uh, two cell um, lithium polymer batteries right now. I'm looking to switch to uh, three cells. Okay, and that's going to affect your gearing too because you're basically, if you guys don't know, um, the speed controller on these RC cars, they they just chop up the voltage coming in, whatever voltage coming in, and that equates to the speed at which the motor spins. So when you increase the voltage by going from 2-cell, which is nominal 7.4 volts, something like that, to a 3-cell, nominal 11.1 theoretically aside from you know friction losses and whatever you're actually going to get uh, a third your your car your motor is going to spin a third faster so how does that affect you as a rock crawler though so that gives you it depends on you you'd need to drop your pinion gear down which i did um so my gear ratio is lower um so when i add more voltage it'll give me more torque and it'll give me more wheel speed when i need to kind of bump over a ledge so that that definitely helps a little bit more uh, a little bit more pep. Yeah, that's the beauty of, of gearing, right? You're trading speed for torque. You can't have both. You can't you can't have a car that maxes out at uh, you know an RC car that maxes out at 110 miles an hour, which there's some that there are, and have a car that has low end pep. You you can't have both. It's impossible. Yeah, that's correct. And so, what kind of uh, what kind of charger did you buy? for your for your lipos i know um some people have their preferences i i have mine what did you get um uh, let's see what i run i run a electron um i think it's an 80 10 80 watt charger okay um and it is uh multiple chemistry so i can i do still have my uh nickel metal hydride batteries i usually let the the boys uh run those just because they're, you can, you know, run them out, throw them back on the, the charger fairly quickly and charge them back up again. But uh, it does lithium polymer, nickel metal hydride. I think it do, still does the nickel cad, cadmium batteries. But, Which um, is all but dead at this point. Exactly, yeah. But with the, the, the uh, lithium polymer batteries, um, I balance charge the batteries as I'm charging them. So it, it charges them the cells equally at the same time. So it has a balance port card on the side. And I, um, everybody told me that was key. Oh, hundred percent. Cause that's where a lot of the, the, the lithium polymer accidents happen is, um, wall charging, um, and, uh, either, you know, you're discharging it too much or, or overcharging it. And that's where you have puff cells and, and potential for fire. Absolutely. So if, uh, for the viewers out there, if you have, um, a lithium, polymer battery and we're talking about two cells or three cells or more talking about multiple cells Uh, if you have a charger that just outputs the maximum voltage that a lithium polymer battery should have 
and you have one cell that starts becoming lazy, then it will actually keep its voltage down. It'll pull the voltage down on the just for itself, which means the other two batteries in the case of a, of a three cell, um, like a three series uh, cell battery, will have to actually absorb that extra voltage. And that's when you start overcharging the additional cells. And when you overcharge a cell, it has a potential to catch fire. And a nominal, like a maximum voltage on a lithium polymer cell is about 4.2 volts. And I think the tolerance is about um, 50 millivolts. So at uh, 4.25, you're still okay, but it's not ideal. But at 4.26, at at that point, I believe you can actually start, um, you're going towards the fire risk very quickly. And if you're at like 4.3 or 4.4, you're almost guaranteed to have a a lithium fire, which is, it's not a good thing. So um, yeah, I use an iCharger 208B personally. Um, It was one of my big, my big purchases when I was starting in the RC hobby. And I have no regrets. That thing is is awesome. It's a 350 watt maximum. Does up to eight cells in series. Multi chemistry, all the good stuff. But I think a, a good um, lithium charger is required if you want to enter the hobby. Would you agree? I, I would totally agree. Yeah. And also a multimeter. I would say if you're if you're getting into the RC electric hobby, get yourself a multimeter because it'll help you diagnose problems with your RC. For example, like a servo acting up or something, and it'll help you um, check the voltages on your lipos, which is super important. Do you have a multimeter at hand? Yeah, yeah, I do. I got it. It's one of those uh, freebies at Harbor Freight. Works great. I actually have one of those. Um, another maker. Um, I don't know if you watch another maker's YouTube channel, but if you don't, you should, and that goes to the viewers too. Um, yeah, he sent me one because I was actually curious to see what all the fuss was about. So. In a future video, I'm going to run it through its paces and check its accuracy. But um, for the most part, like you only need something that's one volt accurate. So like if, you're, if your servo is getting uh, 5.5 volts or 6 volts, it'll still work just the same. Like you don't, have to, you don't have to be so concerned about it. It's only the lithium polymer batteries that you need the, the, the really specific voltages from. Right. And these uh, new speed controllers that... Um that are basically a go-between between the uh, the battery and and the motor. Um, a lot of them, they either have a default or you can program the, the LiPo cutoff, lithium polymer cutoff, at a certain voltage. So Absolutely. when you're run, running the car, you don't have to worry about that as long as you've did your homework and programmed it ahead of time. And it's, that's typically around, if I'm not mistaken, around 3.3 volts per cell. But theoretically, if you look at the manufacturers of the, um, of the cylindrical cells, like uh, lithium-ion batteries, which is the same, to be fair, it's the same chemistry, it's just in a different form factor, um, they say you can actually go down to 2.5 volts without uh, damaging the battery. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not comfortable with that, but um, yeah. yeah, mine's usually around 3.7 is actually even the storage voltage that's that's uh, the voltage at which you should uh, store your lipos if you're doing a a long time so you're going real easy on on your batteries which is a good thing yeah yeah you know it's longevity um depending on you know the the capacity the voltage um they can get pretty expensive so i want these things to last and also not puff oh yeah ever since the um postal services started refusing to deliver uh, lithium batteries, they're getting they're getting really expensive. At least uh, you, as an American, you have access to uh, Hobby King. They have um, American warehouses, but me as a Canadian, if I want to order from Hobby King US, the shipping is like thirty bucks. So if I'm you know if I'm ordering four or five batteries, it's still not worth it. Do you shop at Hobby King at all? No, I actually haven't. I, I've I've looked on their website. Um, I wasn't aware that they had uh, US uh warehouses Um, oh yeah last time i looked i remember they they wanted some astronomical shipping so i I haven't shopped there uh i've bought my batteries on amazon actually and i've had good luck um that's awesome but i've done a lot of a lot of research a lot of reviews on you know because they sell 
all names of batteries and um i don't want to buy a dud something that's going to puff on me because you know these manufacturers can just make a battery that will work for a little bit and then go south on you real quick I think the biggest deal in um, battery manufacturers is exaggerating the ratings um, and not so mm-hmm. much the capacity ratings because you and I, when we buy a battery, I mean, it's easy. We run it the first time until it's completely empty uh, and by completely empty, in your case, 3.7 volts and mine would be about 3.3 and then we slap it on the charger and if the charger doesn't give us a milliamp hour um, charge that, that we were expecting, boom, we're contacting the manufacturer. I think the biggest place where they cheat is the C rating, like the the maximum current that that the battery can put out. They always say, you know, it's 50 C or 125 C, which means 50 times the rating or 125 times the rating. And that's difficult to test because I don't want to pull 500 amps out of my LiPo battery, especially in my house. That That's scary. <laughs> that Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, that's what I've seen too. A lot of these reviews of the rating I'm looking at, you know, getting three cell, new three cell batteries at 50 C. And, uh, a lot of these reviews, I don't know how they're testing them, but they're saying, yeah, it's, it's half that. Um, and that discharge rating will definitely help with obviously the amount of output that you're getting. So, um, yeah, you definitely depends on the application you're looking for, but for what I'm looking for is I just need that, that bit of pep to, sometimes bump over a ledge and I need that on tap. Absolutely. And uh, for those of you listening, the discharge rating uh, will also tell you, give you an idea of the internal resistance of the battery itself. And so the higher C rated batteries will have a lower internal resistance, which means that when you're discharging it, even at like half of its rated uh, discharge rate, um, it means that you're not warming up the battery as much during charge and discharge cycles, even, you know, at, at lower currents. So, Typically, um, with lithium batteries, just like with any mechanical contraption, the cooler you can keep it, the longer it'll last. And again, if you're spending, you know, a couple hundred bucks on a couple couple of batteries, then yeah, you want to take care of those things. But you said that your RC hobby brought you into electronics. Can you uh, can you talk to me a little bit about the transition? Like what happened to make you interested in electronics? Sure. Um... Yeah, so with the the RC rock crawler I have, um, what I like about that specific you know uh, genre of the hobby is there's a big customization aspect to it. You know, a lot of guys will build cut, I mean, completely custom rigs with metal roll cages and um, 3D printed bodies or bodies made out of styrene. That is, it's not just what you see is what you get when you get out of the the hobby shop. So I took it on myself. You know, I saw a lot of guys doing custom lighting. Some, you, know, you know, with the help of YouTube, I've seen you know, custom, just little trick uh, electronics. And I took it on myself to do some of that myself um, and not pay, you know, a company or somebody else to have the finished product, but take that on myself to build something custom. So I've started, you know, simple, like, like I said, I got a multimeter from Harbor Freight. Um, cheap soldering iron, um, learned where I could acquire just even, um, small gauge wire, um, free. I found out you can strip a cat five cable. Oh yes, you can already shielded wire just for, you know, LEDs, that kind of thing. Um, and, um, and also cheap sources that I could buy small electronics from, um, for future projects. I'll tell you, it wasn't all that long ago when I started in electronics. It might have been four or five years, maybe a little bit more, but I was kind of exposed to it through my through my career anyways. But it's there's something satisfying about uh, going on, let's say, um, going to your local hobby shop and seeing that they sell like a light bar for your RC car. And then you think, why, why would I buy this? I feel like I can make this. And then you go home and you make it. And it doesn't matter how simple it seems now. At the time, it was a major triumph. Like, have you have you done anything like that? Like custom lights and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm working on, um, I have just LED, three millimeter and five millimeter, L, just regular LED bulbs. 
you know, the little ones. And um, it wouldn't take too much to wire up something that connects to my receiver. Um, so that that's pretty that's pretty simple. But I'm looking to, um, like you're saying, make my own custom light bar. It's not su um, super difficult. You can use you know a five volt strip or a 12 volt strip, and and solder on you know um, a servo lead to it to connect to your receiver, um, depending on the voltage. Receiver only puts out around five to six volts, so 12 volt strip's not going to work. You can solder on um, a female JST plug to your um, three three S battery um, on the the balancing lead. You can run 12 volts straight from there. So that's that's you know, that's what I'm looking to do on on certain applications on the truck. Um, but I, I made uh, a custom tilt meter. I have a 3D printer, so I designed a, uh, a custom bump, rear bumper, and I used some addressable LEDs in the back, individuals, soldered them up, soldered them up and then put a uh, servo lead on there, and it connects to, it's a proprietary, it looks like a proprietary um, programming card called a Circuit Playground Express from Adafruit, um, and I basically made a enclosure for that on, on the 3d printer um, that looks like a fuel cell so if I tilt more than 60 degrees either way right or left it will turn on one of the brake lights so if you're directly behind it it works really well um, but a lot of times you're standing over the truck so it's more for looks than anything so you actually glossed over quite a bit of stuff here so so a project like that is very multidisciplinary and i f i feel like a lot of us that are interested in electronics it's not just electronics that we that we get into so so let's start from the beginning because um so first of all you you had a problem you wanted to solve right you wanted to see uh you know you want to know how far you're tilted and have a visual indicator, correct? Correct. So you went and, and what, what was your plan of attack for that? Like what, what made you, um, how did you decide to start that? First of all, uh, I saw, I uh, saw a like product on a YouTube channel, um, that did the same thing. And I knew enough about, uh, that there was, you know, Arduinos out there. Um, and, other like products and some of them already had integrated um, other components like an accelerometer for instance um, so I did research f first with that because I knew that you could then output you could program that and you could output whatever you wanted um, and I, I stumbled across these addressable LEDs um, at the same time when I was looking at Adafruit uh, I picked the Circuit Playground Express because it had all these built-in sensors on it already, and I didn't have to stack. Like with Arduino, you have to stack extra stuff onto it to, to make whatever functionality you want on it. Okay, so the so the um, Circuit Playground Express, it's it's an it's a I'm guessing it's a microcontroller board with a with a bunch of sensors already on it. Correct. So it has a it has some capacitive touch solder points on the outside. It has, you know, digital uh, I/O pins, uh, not pins, but pads. Um, it has an accelerometer. It has addressable LEDs. There's a ten of them in a ring on already soldered on there. Oh, nice! It has a couple buttons, uh, a, like a really chintzy speaker on it. So it has. It's good. It's a good educational tool, and um, and it, I forgot how much flash memory has it's like 32k it's really small um but it has the you know micro usb port so you can program something up and it, it accepts uh make code which is i think a microsoft product um it accepts circuit python and accepts arduino i think also interesting so you can just like drag and drop your script on there and it will take it and run with it and how big is this thing physically it is, um, let's see, it's not terribly big. Um, I don't have anything to compare it to. It's bigger than um, a silver dollar. Okay. So it's just a, basically uh, maybe uh, 
a couple inches by a couple inches, two two three inches by two three inches. Yeah, I don't I don't have the exact measurements on. Okay, me. so um, two three inches, uh, like maybe three inches for the for the viewers, about uh, ten centimeters. So ten centimeters by ten centimeters, so, something like that. So it's pretty small. A tenth scale truck is is actually it's not that big either. That's why I was kind of uh, wondering how you fit all that in because that's. I mean, that's three inch by three inches, fairly sizable, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't know the exact measurements, but I, when I mocked up the, um, the enclosure for it and wanted to make sure I knew where I wanted to put it, it was going to be on the rear deck on the rear, um, bed. So, um, sure enough, it, it fit perfectly and it looks somewhat scale that, realistic um uh my my alternative was to get a like a arduino nano something small and and hide it somewhere um but i knew i didn't have to buy anything extra with this microcontroller to make it work yeah i'm just looking at uh images on just did a google image search there and it does i think that's about accurate like two and a half or three inches and it's a it's a circle uh for those of you um listening to the audio it's it's just a circle and it really looks like it has um pads all the way around but they look uh, they're they're bigger than um than pin header pads they have holes that are a couple mils across and uh yeah then there's an inner ring of those addressable leds like uh, steven was saying there's uh, i can see two buttons i can see a microcontroller so it does look like a fairly good product for a beginner i may have to pick one up and uh, take a look at it on the channel because I've never even heard of this thing, and and it seems like a really good, like really good thing for for beginners to take off with. So that's pretty neat. So you're actually measuring the tilt based on the accelerometer, then built in. Correct. Right. So you can address the what axis you want the accelerometer to read off of, and then um, then programming your variables on. Um, it measures the not necessarily the degrees, but uh, units of gravity. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so I, I had to kind of play with that and trying to convert, find the sweet spot on the units of gravity, negative and positive on the X axis to, to get that to work. It looks like it has a, um, an 80 mega, uh, 30, two U four microcontroller on it. So yeah, definitely you could, you could, um, you could write, uh, Arduino IDE for it. And yeah, it's incredible. They pack a lot of stuff into there. Uh, thanks for bringing that up because, uh, I've never, I've never even heard of this thing. Yeah, it's great. Um, for the price, uh, I've had a lot of fun with it. Uh, those, those pads on the outside work really great, uh, for those, uh, test leads that with the alligator clips on them. Okay. Yep. So yeah, they, they attach great on there. They're easy to solder to, um, I know I've seen some makers use the, the same microcontroller. Um, and so, um, what's that called? The, like capacitive touch. It's that thread that can hold like electricity to a certain degree. The, um, oh, I'm not, it's like the, 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 they put this thread in like, um, gloves so you can touch your, your smartphone. Yeah. Well, with gloves on that kind of thread. Yeah. So they can, they, they, They've um, sewed that onto those uh, contact pads and then um, sewn it into a piece of clothing. Oh, yeah, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, so it's it's quite capable. So since you're not that far into electronics as a hobby, as you were saying, about you said about a year, right? Plus or minus? Right. So Right, yeah. I'm, I'm good enough to, to, you know, do some soldering, make some led lights I, i've yet to burn anything out <laughs> knock on wood <laughs> yeah <laughs> so for people who are rc enthusiasts and they're they've been wanting to take the first steps towards sort of arduino-y type stuff do you have any uh any words of wisdom that you've learned along the way that you could share and maybe save someone a little bit of frustration um arduino based uh, what i did was i went on you can probably find this one of these Arduino kits. I got it on Amazon. Um, you can probably find it elsewhere too, but um, I got it through, uh, what was it, Eligu. Um, I think they're Chinese-based. They are, yes. But um, for 35 bucks, you get 
the uh, Arduino Uno, um, the the jumper wires, motors, servo. I mean, all these other little pieces of kit that um, and uh, that were great. And they um, on their website per kit they have all the PDFs of each little part. So you can you can throw that code in the IDE and it will work as long as you got everything hooked up. But for me, I'm still learning the Arduino coding part of it. I'm good enough to be dangerous of kind of just understanding it and changing some variables if need be, but not writing anything from scratch yet. Oh, I feel you. I'm terrible at code. And I think if you've watched my channel, you would understand that. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm still at the point I can, I can write I'm at the point where I can write a little bit of code, but mostly it's sort of um, picking up example code and snippets from here mm -hmm. and there and smashing it all together until it functions. And that's why I don't do a lot of code tutorials on my on my channel. For me, it's mostly I'll write something like I don't know if you if, if you watch the RGB LED video, um, but for those of you who have that 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 code, no, I haven't yet. You haven't yet. That's and that's complete. That's totally fine. Um, but for those of you who have, um, that's the kind of code that I'm comfortable with doing. Um, stuff like uh, writing to OLEDs and stuff, I can do that too. But it takes me about twice the amount of time. So yeah, I try to avoid uh, code as much as I can. But I think at some point I'm gonna have to bite the bullet and really like dive into it. You know? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, it really comes down to time and attention um i only have so much free time uh in any given day and usually my attention is <laughs> fixing some if i do have any time i'm on the workbench you know modifying or fixing one of these trucks i have rc trucks so you know I, i'm with you on just I, I i'm really good at googling what i'm looking for and i can try to smash something together code code wise but if we're talking about ways that you spend your time, you told me in a, in a conversation uh, before this um, recording that uh, that you like fishing. And I, I recently found out that you live on the coast. So I'm guessing you do ocean fishing. What kind of fishing do you do? I do. Yeah, I do saltwater fishing. Um, I usually, yeah, I fish in the ocean and, um, and uh, the bays. Um, and I'm I'm usually just catch and release, uh, but I'm after anything that bites. So um, we have a lot of species around us, and so you can get anything from halibut to bass to shark, uh, rays. So it, it's a lot of fun. You don't really know what you're going to get on any given day. Do you watch any of the uh, fishing YouTubers? Because I know I do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna name drop in a second here. But anything that appeals to you? Um, fishing YouTubers. I, I do, but it's mostly fly fishing. Okay. Okay. That makes sense though. Cause fly fishing is a little bit more, um, of a sort of a finesse thing, I think at least. It is. Um, so I'm into both. Um, spin fishing is a little bit more convenient just because of the line management issue. Um, but I do, uh, saltwater fly fish. Um, so I, I've, um, I, I was into tying my own flies for a, a while before I got into the RC hobby. So I'm kind of bouncing around all over the place. Very nice. I watch, um, I watch Fisherman's Life, who's, uh, based in, um, uh, San Francisco. And he, I mean, his take on fishing is, is awesome. I wish I was near the ocean, but I'm, uh, the closest ocean to me, I guess would be the, um, the Atlantic and that's about uh, 14 hours of, of a car ride away but yeah he does um, basically like you do like basically rock fishing right I, I guess that's what it's called usually getting up rock fish and stuff is, is that accurate um yeah we don't for us rock fish is you have to go out on a boat out in the ocean to get rock fish um, not from I usually do shore fishing really because he does all so, his rock fishing yeah. from from shore which is completely okay, different. Okay, maybe it's spe just specific to San Francisco. Yeah, maybe in that area. I know he goes down to uh, Southern California with his boat often to to get uh, tuna, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Or salmon? No, salmon. Yep. Not tuna, salmon. 
Uh, pro- pro- probably probably tuna. Really? Okay, I could be um, in Southern California. Yeah. yeah, my geography could be a bit a bit off. Um, but yeah, he uh, he he has a lot of really good videos um, from fishing from shore, fishing from the boat, and just his personality is, is really good stuff. What what do you like about going out fishing is it the relaxation like the stereotype would would suggest yeah yeah it is it's um it's it's a good way to unwind um i'm usually between working on a computer all day um it's a good way to unwind for half an hour an hour um depending depends on the day but um yeah it's just just uh let letting the brain unwind and just um, enjoying, you know, a good evening out on the water. Very nice. Yeah, I don't. I don't personally own a boat, and we have uh, only fresh water around us. But Canada does have like a ton of lakes, and there's a river going through my city. Uh, so if you ever, if any of the viewers want to look at a satellite image, you see the Ottawa River flowing through Ottawa. And uh, in there, we're multi-species as well. So very similar to you, we have. Um, freshwater um, bass, uh, large and smallmouth. We have pike, we have uh, catfish, we have, I think I think all in all we have about 15 or so species and it's really not that far from anyone who lives sort of in the most densely populated areas of, of Ottawa. So, but for me, I don't know about the relaxation because I typically relax um, by watching YouTube, really, I guess, uh, guilty of wasting my time like that. But um, typically... I love the feeling of, of the bite, right? When something grabs it and runs, yeah. that's that's an incredible feeling. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, yeah, to have that resistance of knowing that something is alive on the other end is such a rush. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't really, I don't care what size of fish it is, that I know I have something. Oh, 100%. Um, it's great because I, I've, I've fished for... Um, uh, panfish before and you know it it's all that fishing for them on a light line it feels like you got a big fish on there and you don't they just fight really good for those of you that don't know panfish refers to typically the smaller the species of fish that are smaller and they call them panfish colloquially because uh you you, you just throw a bunch of them in a pan to, to cook up because they're really uh they're, they're tiny so typically they'd be under uh, around here, a panfish would be considered anything under about uh, eight inches in length, so about uh, twenty-two centimeters or so. Is that about accurate for what you're talking about? Yeah, it's about right. Yeah, so you're you're talking about crappies, uh, bluegill, different. You know, you got different types of bluegill. Um, yeah, th- those type of fish. Yep. You'll see. Uh, so here, for uh, like for example, we have sunfish, which is a, a common um, panfish. And our daily catch limit is, I think it's about 50. So you're allowed to possess 50 of them. Just to give you an idea of of the size of, of these panfish, they're typically very small. Um, there's a lot of cultures around here that like to turn panfish into soups, which makes a lot of sense because if you're going to fillet a panfish, you're going to spend uh, 10 minutes to get a couple grams worth of meat. It's, an, it's really difficult to get a lot of meat out of them. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, they're... From what I've heard is they're best to deep fry. <laughs> yeah, that would make a lot of sense, actually. Uh, do you guys have, like, uh, a lot of freshwater stuff around you, or is it pretty much all salt? Um, we, we, uh, we do have nothing like what, from what it sounds like where, where you're at, but um, we do. We, they're mostly reservoirs, though. Um, so there's pretty good fishing. Usually it's bass, and then they stock it with trout. Um, there's carp in there too, in these reservoirs. Oh, there's carp everywhere, uh, man. Yeah. They're actually really fun to catch. Um, they, they pull really hard. Oh yeah. Once you hook one up. I had something like uh, a 30 pound carp on and, uh, he almost, uh, spooled me, which means he almost took all the line off for those of you listening at home. Yeah. Um, and I caught him basically they're, they're at my really feet. Strong. Oh yeah. They're, they're huge. They're, they're massive. I don't think they're so. I don't think they're good to eat. But yeah. there's there are some cultures who who believe that uh, that fried carp is like the best food. I don't blame them. It's just not that's, for me. That's what I've heard too. Um, for b- both both sides of the the coin of they they taste really good, but it's it's a cultural thing. And then others 
people, most people won't even touch them. It's more of a catch and release or they use them for bait for something else. Yeah. So here they're invasive, um, but they're not invasive to the point where there's an order to kill them. Like there's a couple fish like the snakeheads and the, um, some sort of goby that you're supposed to, to destroy and contact the um, natural resources people. But uh, the carp are invasive, but there's no, no such order on them yet. I know there are some places in the States where like silver carp is decimating the local um, uh, wildlife and you could fish them all you want, but you're not going to even make a dent in their populations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's the Asian carp. Um, and um, yeah, they're, they're highly invasive compared to the common carp. Yeah. They're, you won't even make a dent. I don't, that's, that's above my pay grade on how to control those guys. Oh yeah. I know there's, I've watched videos where they go out with, uh, with boats and the propellers make them jump. So they, they have these boats, uh, which, is, which have netting all around them and the carp jump and they jump into the netting. And basically that's how they try to control them. They just catch them like that. And the worst part is that nobody really likes eating them. So like, what do you do? It's all kind of goes to waste, right? Right. Yeah. I'm not sure what they do with do with them i hope they make them into fertilizer or something yeah they i mean they must do something like that do you do you have uh invasive species uh like uh in the in the ocean near you uh not in the ocean um we do have like i said we have carp we don't have snakehead um depends on what reservoir you fish at there's rules on if you catch a carp you kill it and throw it in the trash actually you can't even throw it in the trash you have to take it with you oh that makes sense um in yeah. case it has eggs, um, yeah, something or like sperm, because they um, they uh, fertilize just in open water, so that makes sense. Right. On our uh, yeah, east uh, coast, we have invasive crab. We have uh, uh, green crab. I think they're green. Yeah, green crab. They only grow a um, couple inches across, maybe six inches, fifteen centimeters across, and apparently they taste like garbage. And be, but because they're so successful at breeding. They're actually pushing out the the native crabs, and so they don't know what to do with them either. And I think there's one um, government program which is turning them into like grinding them up and turning them into like aquarium fish food, basically. But um, other than that, they're like impossible to catch because they live in the same places that commercial crab live. And so if you set traps for them and you don't check them every day, you end up snaring so many of the local crabs that you become part of the the problem as well right right yeah these yeah the invasive species there's no easy answer for them depends on you know depending on if they're in the water or on land there's it's usually because they they breed so well that's usually most of the problem 100 percent. do you go crabbing in uh in california no i haven't I've, i've done some lobster fishing um unsuccessfully but um that that's about it I think with your your um your like for electronics, I think uh, it'd be interesting uh, to throw like a GoPro into a crab pot and and see what it looks like underwater. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, with lobster fishing, you you throw the pot in in the water and you wait about half an hour and then pull it up again and you do that throughout the night. It's um, kind of boring. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I tend to. Just, just a fish. This YouTuber I watch, Fisherman's Life, which I mentioned, he he does crab snaring. So you have like a little, it looks like, I don't know if you, you know those bird feeders that you put suet in. So it looks like a little cage. Okay. Uh, so you put squid and stuff in there. And then you have a lawnmower line coming off the side, um, making a loop and it's open-ended. And the crab, they try real hard to get the squid. And if um, the viewers don't know, squid is uh, kind of tough. It's like rubbery. And so they're eating the squid and their their claws or their legs get stuck in these um, lawnmower lines. And then you reel it in and the lawnmower lines like cinch down onto their onto their, their limbs. And then you get, get yourself some crab to eat. Really interesting. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Never was, wouldn't even think to do that. I, I know. I've seen that with like ro- rodent traps, but. Nothing like a, a crab trap. I said, you know what? You should, you should, uh, you should give it a shot. And if it, and if it succeeds, you should let me know because uh, uh, apparently those Dungeness crabs are something like twenty bucks a pound or something. Yeah, that, they're not cheap. And so you can go out there, and in a day, I think there's there must be a catch limit, but I think it's like four or five. So, like you could end up with uh, you know one hundred and twenty bucks worth of crab. Could be a good investment. 
Very true. So other than that, um, I think we should start wrapping it up. But I have a question that I ask all of my guests. And um, and this is supposed to catch you a little bit off guard. So if you have to think about it for a second, don't, don't sweat it. Um, but this question goes, if you get a government grant, but the government grant is given to you to start the business of your dreams, profitability is not a concern, but it does have to be like a, like, like a business. It has to, to either provide a service or a product. Um, what kind of business would you start with that? A government grant. Yeah, just basically the setup is you get free money, but you have to build okay, a business. Okay, so it doesn't. It. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily have to be charitable. Um, no, 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 no. It's charitable to you because you get the wow. grant. <laughs> I've always, I've always thought it'd be kind of cool. I haven't seen this in in the RC hobby, but other other hobbies, and um, kind of the new thing is a subscription box um, of you know you name it, women's products. Um, I've seen it in a hunting fishing world of you get a, you know, subscription box every month. Um, I always thought it'd be kind of cool to have something like that in the RC hobby. Um, because you get, you deal with consumables, you deal with, you know, you always need new screws, um, wiring, um, little tube of grease, you know, that kind of thing, stuff that you go through a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a great idea. Something even you can add like servos or servo horns to that. Yeah, springs. right. A lot of these boxes, they throw in something, you know, they, they get some work with some manufacturer and they get probably a really good discount on buying a big lot of something that is 20 bucks or less, which could be, you know, a lot of these brush motors are, you can get, they're really good. You can get them for 20 bucks or less. You know, you throw in a, something nice uh, one month to kind of keep everybody happy. So that's a purely selfish, but uh selfish idea to business to create. But um, that's something I've been kicking around. I think that's, that's pretty brilliant. Uh, Cause I'm trying to think there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, the, I mean, it's a huge range of the RC hobby, like what could be involved, but I'm trying to think, even though I'm not into some specific hobbies, like, I wouldn't be upset if I got like a motor or a servo or um, like a set of lights or um, even like a, even an extra receiver, even if it's not like my brand of receiver, I, like you never have enough RC stuff, really. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, um, I've slowly, I got one of those uh, small parts organizers from Harbor Freight. It's like 40 drawers. And I got that on my workbench. I got that recently, um, but I've been slowly stocking up on stuff that I go through a lot. Screws. I got drawers for LED lights and, um, you know, three millimeter washers or M3 washers. Um, stuff that I usually drop on my shop floor and I can't find again. Yeah, it's usually where it goes. Oh, yeah. It's gone um, forever. Yeah, it's gone. I, it's a black hole. It falls between dimensions, but, I'm pretty sure, half the time. Yeah, I can, I can, usually I can never find anything. So, um, I got the idea to, to, um, buy little packs of stuff and always keep that stuff on hand so I can not go to the hardware store constantly and fix stuff right, right then and there. Yeah. I may or may not, uh, have a constant stream of stuff coming from China. I cannot confirm or deny yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've uh, I found uh, AliExpress as being um, quite handy. I go back and forth, you know, between eBay and AliExpress because AliExpress typically I find that the prices are slightly better, aside from like post Corona, because now nobody wants to ship to Canada. But the prices tend to be a little bit better. But but um, the eBay um, claims like for stuff that hasn't shown up is way better than AliExpress. I find AliExpress never sides with me, but eBay almost always does. Did you find anything like that? Um, I have yet to shop for electronics on eBay. Um, I, I started randomly, you know, I had the idea of just having everything on hand. So I started sourcing these goods and I don't need anything, especially these electronic parts. I don't need anything, you know, um, cheap is okay especially starting out, uh, learning how to put everything together. So if I, you know, burn something out, I'm not out much. 
so I started shopping on AliExpress um, during the pandemic, um, which was kind of risky. Um, and I've never shopped on there before, but I've heard good things from some of these guys on the RC community. I was always a little leer- leery of ordering things because uh, is it going to be good quality? Am I ever going to see it? Um, are they going to steal my credit card information? That kind of thing. So um, I took a risk and um, everything's, I, I've noticed things are um, showing up faster now, but in, in, I, I've yet to had to talk st- straight to AliExpress about having a dispute with something. I usually go to the vendor first, but it's not due to something not showing up. I just know it's going to take a while, which is okay. It's fine for me. Um, like I had one dispute with the vendor. I got some resistors and they were the wrong wattage. There were two watts. I needed five watts or something like that. And they refunded me. And it was three o'clock in the morning their time. Um, and they refunded me instantly. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, it was only a couple bucks. But yeah, um, I think I paid through PayPal for it. And um, yeah, it was like a buck 40, I think. They're super responsive. And um, I just put in an order a couple days ago. And um, I got a message from the vendor stating, oh, this this product, we're getting a lot of complaints that it wasn't good quality. Um, so if you don't mind, please cancel your order and uh, we'll let you know when um, our the vendor we work with gets these back in stock and better quality or whatever. So um, I've had really good good experience with it. Well, that's really positive. I'm, I'm glad you're having a good experience. But yeah, for those of you listening at home, um, definitely uh, sort of abstracting the like giving your credit card information to places like uh, AliExpress is good. If you could choose yes. to use PayPal, I would definitely choose that. And that's the great thing about eBay is because eBay themselves will deal with your claim. If eBay uh, tells you to go pound sand, you can open your claim with uh, PayPal. And if that doesn't work, then you can open your claim with your credit card company if you use a credit card. So there's sort of like a cascading thing there that you could try. AliExpress um, is was harder for me because at first they were shipping um, way slower than eBay. So it, eBay would be like three weeks. AliExpress would be something like six weeks. And by the time you got to six weeks, it was too late. Like AliExpress would be like, yeah, it's, it's too late. We're, we're not doing anything for you. But again, these things change all the time. So it's, it's important to, uh, to not take that for, um, not take that as a, like, like, take it with a grain of salt, basically. Right. Uh, what I do is I either use uh, PayPal. They usually tack on like 80 cents per purchase. But if I have like PayPal credit, I'll use PayPal. Um, but I usually use like one of those prepaid Visa cards. Okay. Yeah. That's- um, so that way I'm not giving my credit card information straight to whoever wants it basically. Yeah. That's a good call. And uh, for yeah. you specifically, because you're into RC stuff, um, and I would, I would recommend poking around banggood.com and it's not a, not a sponsor of the episode or anything. I just find that they have more brands available to them than, than you can easily find on AliExpress or eBay. And the prices tend to be very competitive for RC stuff specifically. Electronics modules and stuff, I find it's cheaper on Ali and on eBay. But Banggood for RC stuff could be really good. Like when um, FreeSky was really popular and the IT thing, um, if the FreeSky stuff was 20% cheaper from Banggood. And again, you as an American, uh, they have American warehouses too, which is which is great because then you oh that's nice yeah you get your stuff in in like three four days and sometimes they have free shipping for um, U.S. citizens at from U.S. warehouses so that's another place to go look for lipos and and um, chargers and motors and replacement parts for your RC RC cars I know like my fifth scale um, I have a fifth scale buggy that I just sold not too long ago um, Banggood was a great place to get the parts for that. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I've checked it out um, a couple times. Just I think I haven't even have an account, but I, I haven't purchased anything just because, just with AliExpress, I was a little hesitant on ordering anything and shipping. And um, uh, I haven't bought anything really expensive, um, more than twenty dollars on AliExpress. Um, I'm a little leery of getting hit with um, uh, what they call it, import tax like a, a customs fee. Yep. 
Um, it seems a little like they, they put that fee on random stuff. I don't know the kind of mindset of where, what items they put that fee on. So, and it's a certain percentage. So I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to buy anything expensive. So on there. I can only tell you how it works in Canada, but um, the only times that I get uh, charged with an import fee in Canada is if the item came from the U.S. and it wasn't built in Canada, U.S. or Mexico. So basically the importation fee, um, you can go onto your country's uh, sort of uh, customs website. They have a list of stuff that they'll just always tack a, a tariff on. But um, for, for Canada, at least, if the item is built in China and it comes from China, we don't pay customs. If it was built in China, but it comes from the U.S., then we pay a, a customs fee. So it's basically, uh, it's because of, uh, we're all signatories of NAFTA. I don't know how it works now because the current administration changed some, some stuff. So, you know, trying not to get into politics, but this stuff could be different. But um, I know that, that I only get, I only get dinged um, from customs if it actually came from the States or Mexico without it being made in the States or Mexico. So anything direct from okay. China, I've never, ever, and I think I'm, I must be up over 300 purchases now and still nothing. Okay, that's good to no, know. I'll have to check that out. Looking to get a, get one of those uh, reheat guns, the like these um, rework guns. Yep, I have the 858D here. Okay, so I've been pricing those out. Um, uh, I think uh, I don't really need it for flowing solder to you know create a PCB board or something like that, but I think it might help desoldering. A lot of the uh, salvage parts I've I have in the shop. Oh, absolutely! It, it's great for that. But uh, for that, check Amazon because uh, from yeah. time and like from time to time, the Amazon stuff is the same price as the Chinese stuff in some cases. Because I think what they do is they ship them over on pallets, and then they just resell it on uh, Amazon.com, for example. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've seen. I have one in my cart for about twenty-eight bucks. So that's about kind of right around the sweet spot I've seen on AliExpress. And a little tip for you and, and the viewers, if you shop on Amazon, there's a website called Camel Camel Camel, where you basically go onto that website, you um, copy the link from the product you want on Amazon, post uh, paste it into that website, and it'll give you the pricing history of it and let you know, you know how low it's been, how high it's been, what's the average price. It gives you a graph. And then you can sign up for email alerts when that item drops below a predetermined amount. So let's say it's 28 bucks right now, but you only want to buy it when it's 1999. You've noticed it's turned 1999 uh, four times in the past. So you just put 1999 at the on the in the website and they send you an email if it ever goes uh, to, to 1999 or lower. And then you can just buy it directly from you basically click the link. It's an affiliate link for them. And, and you, you don't pay more, but they get a commission on it. That's how they make their money. Yeah. I've, I've used that site before and it works great. Um, yeah, I love yeah, camel, 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 camel. Absolutely. Yeah. PC parts and whatever. Well, listen, uh, we have to wrap this up. Um, it was really nice for you to take the time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to come chat with me on this podcast. Um, do you have anywhere specific where, uh, the viewers can maybe interact with you? Any social media at all? Yeah, the only uh, kind of public-facing social media I have is on Instagram. Uh, it's Oak to Salt on Instagram. Uh, that's Oak Tree, and two is T O Salt. It's it's a hunting and fishing, um, you know, public-facing profile, but slowly kind of showing off some RC stuff, kind of what's on my bench, and. Um, I think I have a video or two or a picture of uh, my tilt meter on there. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of, if you want to interact with me and that's, that's probably the best, uh, best spot to, to do that. That's awesome. And when I end up making an Instagram account, I'll make sure to, uh, to follow you on Instagram. So thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me today and to the viewers. Thank you so much for tuning in to the simple electronics podcast. We hope to catch you in the next one. Have a good one.